This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, guys, I've got to apologize right off the bat. 60 episodes without a hitch. And today's episode is that hitch. Um had a little bit of technical difficulty with the SD card, recorded about an hour of audio with Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls, uh, talking turkey and elk hunting, elk calling, turkey calling, and when I checked the SD card, um, I got 45 minutes of random audio. So, um, this episode is a little bit disjointed. Um, I didn't want to scrap the whole thing, um, because it took frankly two months to set up and, um, Jason's very busy and I didn't want to take too much of his time and I didn't want to waste, um, what good information was in there. Um, so I do, uh, apologize for this episode if it's a little, um, disjointed, uh, but there is a lot of good information in there. And I, I really, um, want to thank Jason and apologize, uh, both to him and to, to everybody listening. Um, because, uh, you know, frankly, these things happen, but, uh, we try to keep them to a minimum. We've done a great job so far. Um, but, um, in lieu of that, we do have two sets of, uh, calls that we're going to be giving away. Um, we've got uh, four of the more popular uh, amp diaphragm elk calls and a multicam Phelps hat that we're giving away, as well as a full set of his turkey calls and one of the black with the neon green logos. Um, and so for that, if you will follow along with us on uh, on Facebook and Instagram, um, we're going to be posting those up over there. So, um, with no further ado and one last apology, I do apologize one more time. Um, 
But uh, this is episode 60, Jason Phelps, Phelps Game Calls. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And today we have on the phone Jason Phelps, Phelps Game Calls, Angry Mountain Productions, Little League coach extraordinaire. Um, how you doing today, Jason? <laughs> good, good. It is a good day. The weather finally turned here in Southwest Washington for the better, so I can't complain there. Yeah, we've been trying to do this for for a while now, but the weather keeps getting in the way, kind of with uh, your dedication to your kids and the little league and everything like that. You know, you've got so much going on, so just want to really thank you for your time today. Thank you guys for being for being accommodating. So we wanted to do this a little bit earlier because of the turkey calls that you you've got on your site. I mean, I guess you know through social media and everything, and all of the elk calling stuff. You know, you're everywhere in the in the elk woods. Um, but with the turkey type stuff, um, you know, I was kind of surprised last year when I saw them on there, and so I was like, man, we got to get some of those and try them. And and I do like the the turkey calls um but as john and i can attest to you know we went from went from elk calling to the turkey calling <laughs> i used to be pretty decent at the uh turkeys and now i'm now it's like i'm screaming for a bull elk every time i put one on divers <laughs> so with uh with your making calls the different types of calls how did that all come about you know, it started probably in 2009 is when I kind of finally, I was thinking around with it before that, but, um, you know, just not necessarily, you know, 100% satisfied that it was out there. Um, I've always been an obsessive compulsive type guy and, uh, you know, hunting was kind of always a staple and I'm like, Hey, let's kind of, let's put two passions together. You know, the, the want to do something, you know, entrepreneurial, uh, but then, you know, kind of, um, you know, starting to play with, the uh, the elk calls, and so it just kind of, you know, a lot of research, what it goes into it, how do people build them, is, are there components available, um, started digging into it fairly deep, um, and, and decided that we originally started with just the one um, cow elk call with the wood barrel. Um, started with that, you know, figured I might sell 10 or 15 of them, um, and, you know, the things kind of took off, and, and being a diehard bow hunter, um, for elk, I ultimately knew I wanted to get to the point where I was making my own diaphragm, so it just but I was able to kind of, you know, scrounge money up, save money up. Um, you know, I started, I bought the press. And then, you know, once we made enough diaphragms with that first press, we you know, bought a second press. And and um, you just slowly grew it into what, you know, by building calls that we wanted to use, that we were, you know, um, wanting to grab and go hunt elk with, and, and it met kind of our standards. And that's kind of how it started was on the elk call side. Um, and then once you have the presses, you're like, well, dang, I've got all the tools I need to start making tricky calls. So that's just kind of a natural progression. Um, once you have the presses and, and the frames and the latex and everything, um, it doesn't take much more to, to just switch over and start making tricky calls. And it, it didn't start out then as a, as a hobby or anything. It was like, this is something that you knew you wanted to do. Or once you started making the calls for yourself, you thought, hey, these are pretty good. I can, I can sell them. It, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I probably didn't spend much time in that hobby stage. It kind of went straight to to the business side. And I think it's a little unfortunate because even as of now, we still run it like a business. You have to, but it's not my main goal is to 
you look at the bottom line by any means. Um, it's an important part, but um, it, it was a passion. I just didn't spend a lot of time, I guess, in that hobby mode. Um, where we were just thinking around making, you know, I think I sold the first call I ever made and, and kind of just continued on. And so what goes into making either, it, what goes into making a diaphragm call? What What's the process? Because I don't know, it's one of those hard things where, you know, looking at it, it seems like, A, oh, these are so simple. There's only X amount of components. And yep. on, the, on the same token, there's an infinite amount of sounds. And, you know, I think I heard you talk before about the repeatability of it. So kind of what goes yep. into it? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we start with a frame um, and we have a couple of proprietary designs, um, our amp frame, um, the, the frame that we build our tricky columns, actually what we call a medium. Um, there were a lot of components and a lot of call builders still do. I mean, you can all go to the same place and buy certain sized frames, but in my opinion, they weren't the right size for what I wanted to do the way I wanted to call the fit. So we first thing we do, whether it's tricky or elk, you come up with a frame design, um, figure out what that frame does on an elk call. We need that frame to do something different than we need to on a tricky call, which is why you see my tricky calls are still what I consider a, a traditional call, an old flat. The latex is stretched flat. The frame is relatively flat. And there's no supporting, um, you know, a uh, pallet bridge, uh, a plate, a radius, a dome, whatever you want to call it above where the oak call benefits greatly from that. So it really starts with the design of the frame. Um, we spend a lot of time on that amp frame designing, getting the heights right, getting the shape right, getting everything about that call right. So it really made our job as a call builder very easy. It was a very forgiving frame. If we don't get that call, as you just mentioned, um, exact, it, it's still close enough to being very, very repeatable. We can build that call over and over and over as a builder without having to be just you know, exactly precise. Now, with that said, we still try to be as precise in everything we do um, on that build. Um, so you, you start out with a frame you know, of a design, whether it's a commercially bought or if it's our own design. Um, it then goes into a, a specially built press that has um, micrometers on it. Um, it. It's got a way to hold that frame in. So it's basically um, the same shape of that frame is milled out on a base plate. And then you just go to start stretching your latex um, if it's a single read, you just put the one piece of latex in there. Um, you crimp the corners, you crimp the back, you fold over a tab, and you, you crimp it down. Um, and so you've got a frame built at that point. You'll trim it with the scissors and put the tape on. If it's a single or a triple, um, we do have a couple double readed. Uh, excuse me, not single. If it's a double or a triple, um, we have to stack the latex ahead of time. So we'll sit here with a, um, uh, a sharp um, you know, a metal device that basically you just tamp the latex and by tamping it with a sharp um, prick, it will basically stick the, the layer of the latex together so that you can actually build the call when you go into the, um, you know, into the press. Um, now on turkey calls, there's one more step. Not only do you have to trim the excess latex off around the outside of the frame, you then have to make your intricate cuts. Um, most typically on the, on the top piece of latex, there are some, some of our calls, some designs out there, you'll trim not only the top, but also the second layer. And what that does is start to introduce um, some natural rasp um, into the call without having to use any voice. Um, and now while you're in the press is really where the magic happens. Um, you know, there's, it's so simple now that I've been through it enough that I can teach somebody right alongside me all the tricks of the trade. You know, kind of, hey, this matters. This doesn't matter. You need to pay attention to this. You don't need to pay attention to this. 
But once you know what to look for, um, you know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot. The, the most important thing is, in my opinion, is you have somebody sitting on this press for eight or ten hours a day. Is by the time you're in that seven, you know, you're in that seven and a half hours worth. Is that person still, you know, building quality calls? Are they, you know, still paying attention? Um, and so we built some pretty special um, stuff into our presses to make sure that even if they get lazy, they're still building them right. You almost can't screw them up. Um, and, and so we have some proprietary stuff built into our actual presses um, that make sure they're built, um, you know, similar to the last one. And with the, I guess. For all that, so let's just say that you've you're going out west the first time, like John and I did last year, and we'd never elk called before, or you know you can you can put a, a, a even a turkey diaphragm in your mouth, and it is kind of intimidating. So you put it in there, and you're gagging or whatever, whether yep. it's the right size or the right shape, or you know some of the other ones that are like you know some of them you bend them, and you, some of them have no structure to them or whatever. Um, what do you say to a new person or someone who's just starting that for the, for the first time or say, okay, well, I see these guys on TV do it. I'm going to do it too. Um, yeah. What call would you start with or how would you go, go, go about that? Yeah. So that's, that's probably the main question we get through emails or, or messages or texts. And, you know, um, what I, I've never did this or I'm not very good at it. What should I start with? And, um, a lot of the old school callers that still, you know, the successful guys have people looking up to them. They still use what I would say the more old school flat diaphragm. You know, they, they grew up with the Carlton, the, the Larry D. Jones, um, the real wide calls, doubles and triples. And the reason they had to be doubles and triples back then um, is you needed to basically have enough resistance so that you didn't break over the latex. So they used to build doubles and triples. And a lot of my flat frame calls, we still do build a traditional series. Um, where, you know, we have doubles or triples or reinforced latex. But for a brand new caller, um, I, I very strongly suggest they start with the amp diaphragm. It makes everything so much easier, um, from learning to making sounds to controlling the read, um, to providing the support that it doesn't break over. Um, you know, and that's on the alt call side. Uh, if you're coming out west, you know, turkey calls, there's some different advice we would give. But, um, for alt calls, I would highly recommend you start with the amp frame. Now, like, well, shoot, I looked at your website and you have 12 different amp frames. Now which one do I start with? And so what, and I don't like to sound like a used car salesman. You know, I can say, oh, I'll try all of them and pick your favorite one. I don't necessarily want want everybody to, to buy all 12. And so what we do is we have you typically pick out two, which is our amp black and our amp gray. And the reason I have you do, you know, the, the frames are all the same, but the reason I have them pick out two different options is because you don't know as a new caller, if you're going to favor um, a, maybe a heavier piece of latex that's stretched a little bit tighter or a thinner piece of latex that's maybe stretched a little bit looser, and if you happen to guess on the wrong one when you went to buy one, you may say, oh, these calls suck, and I'm never going to get this and, and go back to using something different. Um, so by, by recommending the amp black and the amp gray, it gives us two distinct pieces of latex within the same frame, and if somebody comes back to me and says, hey, I could not use that black one, but the gray one was perfect, or of course, two, then I've got a better recommendation from there on out. Or if they like the black and the gray, vice versa, I can send them in a different direction um, for future purchases or you know, make different recommendations. Um, so that's typically uh, what we start with. And then once you get the hang of those, um, we've got different recommendations. All right, you can blow the gray really, really well. Um, you don't feel like you're, you know, you're, you're having to blow a hat call that's too heavy or it's too much for you. 
then we start recommending into the signatures, like you know, my call or Dirk's call, the Maverick um, calls that require a little more air pressure, a little more control, but are still relatively easy to use. But you'll you know you get better life out of stuff like that. And so there's just there's so many different options, but um, we try to cut the learning curve by recommending those two. And is there a I mean, I guess you guys have your uh, the series that you're working on right now with Dirk that you mentioned on your YouTube channel that you're kind of putting out some some tips and tricks and kind of going through that kind of a, on a weekly basis, kind of from start to, to finish. So, you know, I don't want you to get ahead of yep. yourself in, in that. But um, I guess as far as like styles of calling, how, how do you go about that? Do you say, you know, just cow calls or is this, is one call better for being aggressive in one? I know that you're the one that you started out with the external read call, um, you know, it was kind of a, an easier one, a, a, not a, not a diaphragm call. So you can, you can kind of slow play yeah. cow, cow call just with that one. But as far as the, the diaphragms are, are there some that are built better for bugling yeah. or, you know, in the, in the style yeah, of calling? Sure. Um, so, so the signature line, uh, you know, my, my call, Dirk's call, Charlie's call, the three signatures in that line are definitely geared more towards bugling. That's just our style. Um, I don't necessarily say whether it's the right or the wrong way to do it. We just, uh, when we hung out here, we're very aggressive. We want to play the game with the bulls. We're not, I mean, you could do it other ways. You know, I can cow call bulls in. I can, um, but my intent when I go out there is to get a bull fired up and be going back and forth. So when I'm out in the woods, I would say, I'm 90% beagles, 10% cow calls. Now there's times when the cow calls are really all that matter. Um, but yeah, so the signature line, I would say are built more for bugling, um, since they're kind of all the calls that we prefer. Um, loud, loud bugles that last a, a really long time. They're stretched tighter. They typically use, um, heavier latex. Um, versus if you're going to go cow call, I would say get an orange, a black, or a green, um, because those calls are stretched a little bit lighter. Um, now, like an orange, we recommend you don't ever be going the orange because we've used such a light piece of latex stretch till it's in that you'll blow that call out very quickly. Um, so there are some, and then there's some calls right in the middle, the green, gray, white, we recommend doing everything with, and, and they're good, you know, they're good calls for kind of, um, you know, being a loud bugler, and then if you still want to do soft cow calls, they, they're still easy enough to use. So we kind of do, uh, you know, separate them based on skill, but, it also really depends on what type of hunter you are. If you're going to go out and do just cow calls, it would be crazy to go buy the Charlie Smith double um, for most people. You know, some people may grab that, and it may be the best cow call for them. And that's the other thing we really haven't talked about is that everybody's different. Everybody's mouth shape's different. Everybody has a different shaped tongue. Everybody has applies pressure different. Everybody has different lung capacity. So one guy may take that black amp, and make it sound exactly like me on my signature call. There's no rhyme or reason to why or how come. Um, it's just trying to kind of find that call that works for you. And it's everybody's a little bit different. Um, and I've been amazed with how long I've been doing this. You'll find you know an oddball that can take a, a, a you know a four read call and sound like I can on my lightest um, you know amp read. I'm like, oh, how the heck do you have that much control that you can you know, not make that quadrant? you know, screen uh, what it was meant to be. And so there's just, it really does come down to, to finding the call that works for you, but we try to try to get people into the right call as quick as possible. I think the hard part is when you say that, 
you know, everyone is different and the way that the cow, uh, that the, the call sounds is going to be different yep. per each person. How is it to know like how the elk are going to react? Cause I would imagine that every elk is different and every situation is different. What much like what you find with, with turkeys, you know, I'm sitting here with, with yep. Frank and, you know, over the weekend it was, I mean, he lays out a hundred calls and he hits all of them until one. It's kind of like fishing. I think with him is like, you. there's all these different ways. And, and to be honest, I, I, I did it enough now where I go in with a, a pretty good idea what I can get him to work. But there's times where you're just beating your head against the wall out there in the woods. Like, man, I know there's elk here. I can see him. I can smell him. Um, but they're not responding. And I'll just start throwing stuff that maybe I don't think sounds as good. Or maybe it's you know, high pitched or maybe it's deeper. Um, so we start to look at some of that and we'll just kind of throw the kitchen sink at him and see what finally, finally works or if anything gets him, you know, gets him going. I think you know, when we were out there, we were in we were in Idaho, an area. And he was like laughing at us because I'm like, I'm going to, I'm bugling. We bugled all the way up the mountain and all the way back down. And, yeah. And like when we were telling the story, I ended up calling in a really nice bull second to last day. And it just didn't pan out. We had him into 60 yards, but there just wasn't a shot. But And when I was telling him that story, he was just like, really? I have a lot of fun when you you, you, you talk to somebody about a unit or you're at a trailhead with somebody and they say you can't bugle these bulls in. And that's kind of like my, I'm going to show you a moment. Like, and it's just, it's my approach. It's, it's one of the reasons I, I absolutely love, um, you know, elk hunting and calling elk in is I want to see those things fired up when they turn around the tree. Um, and we're beating them back and forth and they've got that fire in their eyes. Like that's, that's the reason I'm out there. No, there, don't get me wrong. There's times where I'm like, Hey, that, that's a good bull or, uh, you know, it's getting late in the hunt. I'm just going to do whatever it takes. But, um, I'm out there trying to bugle bulls in and if they're not too, you know, too responsive, I'm going to move on to the next one if I can, um, and, and try to find one that's ready to, to be called in like a bugle. You know, there's an old articles with this is not the only way to do it. This is my way. I like to do it. Now there are some people that, you know, claim, you know, you already mentioned, uh, Paul, we're, we're good buddies. He uses our calls. Um, he has a different approach. He, he breaks it down, you know, looks at the language. Um, his results speak for themselves. Our results and our ways speak for ourselves. And I'm like, I don't think there's any need to say one way works and one way doesn't. There's a lot of different ways to accomplish it. I just go in it looking for that response that I do. Um, you know, I want that bull sovereign, you know, fire eyed coming around the corner looking to beat me up, um, you know, versus cow calling the bull because they're usually a lot. And they come a lot slower. They're a lot more timid. And we had the same, I mean, it it wasn't the, we, we had this, the same opportunity by just doing some blind cow calling from a, a cedar thicket. And, you know, we yep. had that bull at what? 35 yards. 35 yards. And just couldn't get yep. him to come through getting two bulls within bull range basically um, for two guys from Michigan was, you know, amazing. Especially you two guys, you know. No, and there's, there's lots of ways to do it. You know, wallows, if you know, bull in it. to be honest, the reason, you know, besides the calling, I just don't have the patience. Because if I'm sitting on a wallow and a bull happens to be a 400 yards and I know he's coming to that wallow, instead of just sitting still knowing that it's probably going to be a slam dunk, I'm the, I'm the idiot that goes and chases him because I don't have the patience to sit there and wait. <laughs> you know, if I get the wind right, I'm, I'm running after bugles just because uh, I'm impatient. So what is your style of, of, of turkey hunting? I, I know you said the same way as, as elk hunting, but I'm just trying to put that in my mind. It's like after seeing like what we did 
you know, in with a bow, like you hear one gobble and it's X far away. You know, Frank always preaches patience, patience, patience. And, and I mean, yep. so sometimes they come in just like that. And it, I'm, it just seems so much, you know. How far was the one bird you, you missed the other day? How far did I miss him at? No, or how no, far no, away? No. I missed him at five how, steps. How, <laughs> how far away did that bird start out? Did you, did you figure he was gobbling? Four or five hundred Four yards. Four or five hundred yards. I changed the calling a little bit, too. You know, I got a little aggressive, you know. And and once once I heard him, you know, get a little louder, I looked at Ernie and said, he's coming, Ernie. He's, you know, he's coming. So then I then I kind of just backed off being real aggressive and I and I just went a little softer, you know, and he just got kept getting louder and louder and louder. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, we're we're similar. We it's kind of the same right back to fishing. The I I'm not a big fan of box calls. They've always been high pitched and, and kind of scratchy to me. And uh, my wife's first bird, uh, we were I was throwing out all kinds, and we knew they were bird, and he hammered right away. I'm like, wow. All right, we're going to stick with this stupid box that I hate. And sure enough, we called that we called that bird. I mean, in the in the twelve yards with a box. And so I'm like, well, that kind of goes to show you. There's just um, certain times. One of the one of my turkey hunting mentors, um, a guy that I got to hunt with, kind of after we got started, um, he'll sit there on a setup and he'll he has a, basically a roll of um, striker. You know, he's got this little cotton thing he sewed up that holds about ten different strikers. He'll roll that thing out. And start going through strikers until a bird will, you know, answer that one. And then you kind of, well, I'm going to stick with this one now. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard to think that it matters that much. But just like. I yep. switch sometimes, you know, back and forth. I've got. Sometimes. I mean, that's a that's a mis, misunderstatement there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> when, we, when we're getting set up, you know, we hear bird gobble off in the distance. And we're like, all right, let's get set up. I got the cameras set up. Adam's all set up in the spot, and we're looking back, and Frank's still laying out different calls. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like it. Well, yeah, but the thing is, what they don't understand, the bird isn't going anywhere. You know, the bird's yeah. going to be there, you know. Yeah. He, just, he just lets you know where he was, that's all, you know. And I kind of, you know, yeah. well, i got to get my tools out here. You know? Let's talk about your turkey calling line a little bit. So what you did with the the elk calls and i've heard you mention it before is that you just made them all different colors and you didn't call them anything fancy you just said okay so you can use the green one the gray one and uh so all the turkey calls are called yeah. something or other yeah and so the on the turkey calls i kind of kept with the industry standard all of the cuts have a name so um for instance like the casper is that cut is called the ghost cut and i'm like well let's just pick a ghost that everybody knows you know and <laughs> So there was a little bit of thought, um, you know, the green viper, it's got a, it's got what's called the snake tongue cut. It's got the, you know, and so we tried the semi, um, you know, follow the, the standard that had already been set before I came along. Um, but the Casper and the Ripping Red are the two calls. If you're going to pick three, which is just a kitchen on the red call, um, that's called a combo cut. Um, it's, it's fairly easy. It's the most popular cut, I think, in most tricky calls. Um, lines and so it's, it's fairly easy and there's a big chunk out of the latex so the, the when you look at the call the, the less latex um, that's, that's over top of those bottom two which you're actually you're playing latex the easier the call is going to be able to use so like for instance on a yellow split V it's just it's three pieces of latex with a little um, you know V cut an inverted V cut in it that still has all three pieces of latex so you in order for somebody to 
to break that coal over. You have to put more air to it. Um, it takes a little more finesse. Um, and so that's why we kind of recommend that trip in him. So here, what Jason was talking about, he was talking about setups and calling in birds that are actually strutting away from you and waiting until they're uh, strutting away and uh, being able to call those birds back. So that's kind of what he was talking about here. That thing just strutted to and from and, and get to that distance and call. I almost always can call that bird back to that safe zone. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and so that's, that's my favorite setup, but a lot of times if I can see him, I can't get away with, you know, much or, but there have been some times where I'll strut back out of the way and then we can run down there. Uh, but yeah, like you said, taking the temperature, we've said that, you know, hundreds of times elk hunting and, uh, you know, hundreds of times they're getting, once you finally hit that call and he, you know, he's not right on top of you and you do it again, he's right on top of you again. It's like, all right, we've figured out what we need to, you know, stay with. You know, doing it with a bow this year. It's totally different. I mean, with with a shotgun, yeah, we would have been done. They would have, it would have been a lot easier. But I think the style that we had, like we had to like think everything through like two or three more times. I feel like with a shotgun, it's a lot easier to just sit down next to a tree and oh, just get up there, just yeah. get over there. Not only that, though, but the filming aspect too. We're filming too, you know. So we're trying to, you know, get that all all you know to to work you know and then plus the the yeah. calling and then but he's hunting with a bow you know and he's he's a lot better with a gun i think you know <laughs> that i mean it, how, do you mostly hunt uh turkeys with a shotgun like everybody else or i mean i know you you're you're a hardcore bow guy um have you yeah, done both or I've so far only, we, we've taken the bow on a couple of hikes, but it seems like uh, no, I, I need to challenge myself one of these days. And we actually have one, of, and, and I have a hundred turkeys everywhere in the world, so uh, my my uh, my observation may be wrong, but I may have the, tur- the toughest turkeys to hunt in the world here. Um, uh, but we have uh, Easterns here in western Washington. They planted on the west side of the state, and there aren't very many of them. Um, but that's what I got to kind of grow up cutting my teeth on. And it, you know, I, I learned a lot, but I also learned how to not kill birds a lot. <laughs> you know, this is my time here. Eastern Washington is a lot easier. There's a million more birds um, kill it. Eastern and Merriam and Rio all in the same year. And so if somebody's kind of waiting on that last bird, I'll, I'll help them out. But we don't hunt them anymore here. But it's it's tough. I mean, you're in the brush. It's usually raining on you every day, and it's just miserable turkey hunting conditions. Yeah, I can see not bringing a bow doing that. I mean, but I, yeah. that, the bird that uh, Frank called in yesterday it was eighteen degrees, and it was it was Ooh. cold. Yeah, it was cold. It was cold yesterday morning, man. It was cold. Because we grew up hunting in the brush, we don't you know you don't get a setup on fields or little openings. We were typically like brush hunting. And I go to Eastern Washington, and I like to hunt them in the brush, but all my buddies like to hunt them on the edge of the field, and I don't ever know what the right answer is, but. Um, more often than not, I think we, you know, what's your guys' preference to hunt them where you can see out of ways or, the, or to keep them tighter in the timber? I, I don't but, care. You yeah, know what either I mean? way, I, either yeah. way for me, you know, and, and some guys, some guys that I hunt with, they like, boy, they like them fields and stuff, you know, and, but I, 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 I just, in a lot of times I don't want to even use a decoy, you know, I'll just, yeah, yeah, you know, once I get them going, you know, it's just like, get right there, you know, you get there. Well, I'll be yeah. where I can see the turkey coming. You know, he came right to that decoy, never made a sound. Yeah. He, he strutted a couple times in the field, 
come yeah. about be one I'd call. So you yeah. know, and I didn't know that, you know. But I know I know a turkey will strut, you know, when I hit the call. I've seen it, you know. But not knowing he was there, he he came across that field really fast. And I mean, when that other turkey gobbled, he came right up to that decoy and he started pushing that decoy. You yeah, know, I that's mean, he what, was spinning yeah, him right around. He spun him around. That's when Adam shot him. Yeah. Shot him both. <laughs> he <laughs> shot both of them, the turkey and the decoy. <laughs> oh, man. Like I told him, I told him yesterday, I said, I'm going to do everything wrong to set it this year with a with a bow um, just because we needed to be able to see a little bit further. Um, I mean, the, the first the yep. turkey that I missed, um, I hit a branch and went wide, and it was just one of those little – little sticks that you don't see through your peep site or whatever. Um, and you know, so after that we changed the way that we set up and he called in two giant birds that night at 55, 60 yards. You know, when they came in front of us, they were, they were closer where they, where they came by, but you know, there was just nothing that we could do. And that was, that was fairly open, but it was super wet. Kind of like what you were talking about in your, in, kind of in where you were hunting your Easterns, um, transition off topic, uh, completely here, figuring out all of our elk hunting stuff. It was, you know, John was going to go for all high fat. And then we talked to some other guys who said, we need more carbs and you need more, um, stuff like that. And it's kind of like from your transition, if you watch like the last couple of years of, you know, born and raised or anything that you were on, on, on social media or YouTube or whatever, you know, you've cut down a whole bunch of weight and kind of slim down and, and yeah. kind of a lot of, a lot of keto stuff. So we kind of, we're interested in hearing about that and how that transitions to say a seven day hunt in the mountains. Yeah. I, so I, it's kind of funny. I get to talk about fitness because I was looking around and I'm like, man, I've seen some of these results people are having with this keto diet and decided to give it a shot and, uh, you know, lost a bunch of, I ended up losing about 60 pounds there in, in about a little over four and a half months. I'm going into hunting season, and I'm like, well, how do I, I felt really good, um, you know, joints felt good, mental clarity felt good, long-term energy levels throughout the day felt good, I'm like, I'm going to try to see if I can carry this into um, hunting season, and then, you know, five-day pack trips, or, you know, seven days, how do you pack for it, and so really, the hard part is just figuring out what your food's going um, to be, to continue to eat that way, um, so, you know, it kind of always, uh, the main question, like, I met this a bunch of, uh, you know, little cookies or snacks, but I think on that trip I was using, like, fat snacks, cookies, um, and, and my coffee, so it kind of made a, a good breakfast that I enjoyed. Um, lunch, we would typically do anything from meat sticks, um, almond butter packets, um, you know, I, I carried a lot of uh, cheese with me, whether it's, um, like, um, the drier, harder uh, aged Parmesan and stuff. Not necessarily my favorite cheese, but knew it would last longer. Um, on those hunts, we carried a lot of salami um, with us. Uh, I say with us with me. Um, uh, and then it, for dinners and stuff, we I would eat it. Made, made all that work, um, you know, for twelve days in Colorado and felt awesome, start to finish. I would say if I had to kind of give any comments, the one downside to keto um was it wasn't all day i felt good it was if you had just a big hard push somewhere in the day like all right we gotta climb this 1500 foot mountain as fast as we can i'm like wow my legs are don't want to do that they don't want to fire you know halfway up i felt really good to start with but then i kind of just fall on my face um which was fine i recovered fast 
uh, and we finish it out. Uh, but I think if I was to go back and do it, I'm always just going to burn those as I go, and I would still stay in ketosis, still have the, the long-term energy, um, but then maybe be able to, to get a little bit better performance out and, you know, let my muscles fire a little bit better. Right. Um, was really, was, it was my takeaway. Now what happened is I realized I didn't pack enough food to go right into my next elk hunt. So I was going for about 25 days straight, um, last year. And so in the middle, between those two hunts, I was in Colorado and then I was going to Idaho. I'm like, uh oh, I got to reload food and it's almost impossible without planning ahead to kind of stay keto. Um, you know, I, I could have, I could have had some macadamia nuts and some pecans and some other stuff, but I'm like, I just kind of, I was kind of over that, and so I ate normal. It was way down in dumps energy-wise and felt like garbage. But if I would time it right, um, it felt like I had, my legs were really strong getting up out of a hole or climbing a mountain. Right. Um, so it's kind of your trade-off is either, you know, sustained all day versus, you know, peak performance. But I think if I add in that 50 to 70 carbs instead of keeping it reduced way down to 15 to 20, um, it'll kind of be the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's... Like like I was saying, that's what I was looking at, and then we we spoke with um, um, Mark, Mark from Exo, Exo, and he had talked to a nutritionist about it, and he's like, "Yeah, you're gonna in order to be climbing up the mountains, and you know, you're gonna want some carbs." So his recommendations is is went out in the woods and tested. You know, a lot of the nutritionists that, that are against keto, they never even did it. You know, or their teaching said they shouldn't, or there's something bad about it. Right. And I, to be honest, I felt great. And I trained, uh, I've been training for five months leading up to last year and, and stayed right on it. Um, to now, and I feel great on, you know, 30 to 45 minutes on the stair climber, on day to day long hikes. Um, I don't really see any issues with climbing mountains. Like I say, I, and it wasn't a huge drawback. It was just those big steep pushes. But, uh, I plan on doing it again this year just with a little bit higher carbon take because I did feel so good start to finish. With that, yeah. when you're when you're going to add in those um, sixty or seventy carbs, are you going to time them? You know, like prior to, or are you going to change up your carbs to be like a super fast acting, like just like a simple sugars, or uh, you know, kind of something that's kind of a slower burn carb, or does that? I would probably, I'll probably mix in. You know, not necessarily. You know, the Skittles is what I kind of use in my example of the super fast. I think I would probably do more. Um, you know, granola bars or like the RX bars where they've got some, you know, a few dates mixed in, um, you know, something still somewhat healthy, um, maybe a little bit slower release, but I don't think I want to just, you know, Oh, here's my, here's all my cards. Yeah, for sure. I definitely had a good mix of gas station carbs. Like, you know, Snickers, gummy bears. John had a bunch of pop darts. Um, it was like a 13 year olds, $20 trip to the gas station trip so that's, no. that's what i did yeah so, trust me everybody eating that way around me made me wish i had some of that stuff in my backpack because you're sitting there trying to chew on almond butter mixed with coconut oil and everybody else is eating all this good stuff you know better tasting stuff i'm like man maybe this isn't all worth it <laughs> the, the dudes that i that i know that old school guys that have been hunting in idaho for a long time hunting elk cheese and hot dogs that's what they eat. You know? <laughs> he says, just cheese yeah. and hot dogs. <laughs> I'm going, are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, we we live right on the Pacific Crest. And we did not yeah. I'm like, well, if they can make it for that long, that's pretty keto. I should be all right. You'd have to remember to bring lots of dental floss. 
No, I'm just saying it worked good. I, I, I have to be very careful recommending diets. And like you said, you guys are a little nervous. Cause I, it, it's tough recommending it, but for me, um, it worked very well um, for the way we hunt and, and just having that long-term energy. Well, it was just interesting because it, it like played right into like where John was at, you know, and he's was like, like, Phelps is doing it. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, more of a life term, you know, a long-term life change. Um, when I fell into the trap of when I came from Idaho, um, you know, went back to eating normal, it took me like two and a half months to climb out of it and I gained a bunch of weight back. So it's like, to me, it's worth it to force myself to just power through hunting season so I don't get sidetracked or fall off the wagon for too long. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I was going to say, I, I just appreciate your time and you coming on here and talking with us and anything turkey or elk hunting, um, I think is the, like the most dynamic hunting that I've, you know, even yeah. this weekend with turkeys is like, nothing's answering. We'll go find some that are. And that, yeah. that's just, you know, su- such a, such an exciting. Yeah. It's just, it's so much more, you know, enjoyable that you can, you can make something happen. Or, right. or screw it yep. up, but <laughs> well, yeah. So, yep. we just appreciate you, like I said, taking your time out and um, you know talking with us a little bit and talking with the calls. And so we've got sets of calls to give away: one elk pack and a turkey pack and a couple of hats uh, to give away to the listeners. But um, you know, if they wanted to find any of that stuff or or kind of follow along with what you're doing, um, where can they do that? Pretty active um instagram uh, at phelps game calls um we're on facebook uh phelps game calls um facebook page and then my personal page um on facebook i, I try to be as open as possible and then our website is uh, phelpsgamecalls.com um so we, we try to be available you know phone email we'll, we'll answer it all and, and try to get back to answer any questions anybody has yeah and if you ever want to get a hold of jason i mean you can just call and try and put in an order and like like John experience there, yeah. I called. Some, yeah, I called about the green tube uh, last fall. I'm like, man, I seen it on Instagram, and I called. And I was kind of taken back when you answered the phone. I was like, wow, Jason, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, no, thank you guys. Thank you guys very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime you'll have to come out here to Michigan and uh, show show Frank how to call some turkeys. <laughs> I'm going to go there and learn from Frank. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great talking to you, All Jason. Right. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.